Do you know what was happening where you can get news about the Jamaican culture and just learn about how Jamaicans are doing as a yard and abroad? You get to learn a new Jamaican Patwa word or even a Jamaican phrase. I look forward to the Patwa word of the day. The Patwa word is Pasa Pasa. Word today is Taco Ram. Our word of the day is Duffy. Wang. No little, no little twang, no true. Enjoy tuning in to what a good It happens every Friday at 7 p.m. So check them out. And bye from Toronto. Dodge, Quebec, it's La Jamaica. Écoute, what a Yes, I, what a I am a big fan of Wataguan. Relevant and entertaining, so keep up the good work. Watch Wataguan. Big up yourself, Wataguan. Wataguan. Yes, I. Wataguan. Watch Wataguan. Hello, hello, and hello, my peoples in Awataguan land. Onodo, it's Friday, October 6th, and you know who is back once it reaches Friday at this time? Oh yeah, it's your girl from Bongatown back for another day for another session of Wataguan National. Welcome back. I hope all of y'all's week was good. So now that we've started, it's time for you to go outside, go to the gate, go to the back door, the front door, on the veranda, wherever it is that you need to go. It's time for you to let everybody know that Wataguan is on and your favorite host, the girl from Bungatown, is back for another Friday. We want to say a special shout out to those listening on Fresh FM Radio London. And to also let you know that Wataguan is also available as a podcast on Spotify, Podbeam, Google, Amazon, HiArt, Player FM, and all other major podcasting platforms. You can connect to any one of these platforms on the link to the on the link on our website. And our website is www.wataguan.ca. Welcome to October. So all the October-born folks, time to skip around. In this part of the world, the season is pumpkin season. You can get pumpkin pie, pumpkin scone, pumpkin latte, and all things pumpkin-y. And it is also the month we celebrate, they celebrate Halloween. Yep, it's the last month for the season 2023 of Watagon National Yes, my people, time a wind down. We have what? Three more shows, shows to go, and that's it for the 2023 season. Today, we want to take on the issue of racism and media. And Dr. Brad Clark from Mount Royal University has done some research to amplify things we knew, but even more to bring to light the things we didn't see or were not shown. Hang around because that comes up a little bit because that first part of the discussion in a little bit in A Time to Reason with the big man himself, yes I, Donovan Simon. <laughs> 
But before we go any further, we want to go to my favorite part of the show. Yes, you know what that is. It is Patwa time. And this is a time where we share a word or a phrase from the beautiful Jamaican Patwa. And today we are going to go with a phrase. And the phrase or proverb or whatever it is we call it, sayings, yeah, is chicken merry at the near. Yes, chicken de merry at the near. When your mother or your granny or somebody said that he has a child, what does that mean? So you do that by telling me, yep, engage with me and tell me in the comments. Yes, it's that little box down below. If you're on YouTube or if you're on Facebook, just comment and keep the thing lively and going. And the saying or the phrase or the verb this or the proverb this week is chicken merry at the near. Yes, I love that one. So tell me what it means and if you've ever heard it before. Last week, we got some fresh perspectives from our proud Jamaican professionals, Janelle and Candice. They shared how they felt about their prospects, how they see the work world and the things they love or would change about the work world in Jamaica. Even though Janelle works in Canada and Candice is in Jamaica, there were many similarities in their views. They both remained positive, passionate and proud as they built their careers, even if in some cases it felt slow and constantly had to cha cha challenge the legacy practices. You know, we like it when you, we love it when you engage with us. And you do that by keeping the comments and the feedback coming. And you do that again just by commenting below in your little box down there if you're on YouTube or on Facebook. If you missed an episode, please check out the replay on What I Go On YouTube channel or on our Facebook. You can find the links to those on our website at www.whataguan.ca. And I forgot to remind you earlier that Guan is two A's. And while we're on the green of social media, yes, I want you to share, follow, like, comment, do all the things so that Wataguan National can spread all over. So when you like or, or comment, if you're already following us, it does something to the algorithm and it shows up on your page that all the people who are following you or doing whatever they do to you on social media, yes, they'll see it and then they can get to check out Wataguan National and it helps to grow our viewership and our overall thing is right so please remember to share it like good 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 food so let's it's now time to share some events happening across canada in toronto the jamaican canadian association is in the process of designing a culturally appropriate adult literacy program and they need your input join them on on a zoom call on wednesday october 11th at 6 p.m est for a virtual focus group to join the session rsvp at is coordinator at jcaontario.org or call 647-765-5304 over in montreal you can sign up for the online computer classes for older adults offered by Starcan Cultural Association and the Jamaican Association of Montreal. This is a free 10-week online program 
that will help to demystify the world of computers, devices, and software for our adults. So register by October 12 by calling 514-998-7827 or 514-737-8229. Sessions start on October 17. Also in Montreal, the Jamaican Association of Montreal is hosting their Heroes and Heroine Day 2023 banquet on Saturday, October 14 at the Jam Noel Alexander Banquet Hall at 4065 Jean Talon West, Montreal. The event starts at 6 p.m. with Bishop Ransford Jones as the guest speaker. There will be awards, guest appearances, entertainment, and more. Tickets are $90 for members and $100 for non-members. Call 514-737-8229 for tickets and more information. Now, just a little tips and news from Dungayad. Jamaicans spend billions on telephone call tax, but data service starting to squeeze revenue. Jamaican consumers have proved that talk is not cheap. Forking out almost 50 billion in telephone call taxes for the government's coffers over the last decade. Wow. But at least one technology expert believes the outlay could have been much more if the Office of Utilities Regulation, OUR, properly monitors the calls made on the networks of telecoms providers. The government in 2012, as part of measures to raise taxes for paying down the debt ahead of new agreement with the International Monetary Fund, IMF, announced a tax of 30 cents per minute on all domestic calls for termination to the mobile networks and fixed lines. On international calls, the tax implemented was US 0 0.75, oh my God, I don't know my numbers, but I think this is 75 cents per minute for calls terminated on local mobile networks. Since the implementation of the tax in August 2012, up to March 31st, 2023, the telecos have handed over $47.8 in telephone call taxes, which, though a hefty sum, was still $1.36 lower than the government had hoped. Africa Fashion Week London is back! The largest annual fashion week in Europe, profiling African-inspired designs in its entirety, invites you to its spectacular two-day event. Whether you want to network with fashion industry gurus or wish to purchase a one-of-a-kind Afrocentric memento in our renowned exhibition marketplace, Africa Fashion Week London promises to immerse you in all things Africa and more. Tickets are selling fast now. Get your tickets at eventbrite.co.uk. Also, don't miss the opportunity to showcase or exhibit your designs at the Fashion Week. Register now at AfricaFashionWeekLondonUK.com Africa Fashion Week London. Book your tickets now.
And we are now at my next favorite part of the show. Yes, you know what it is. It is a time to reason with none other than the big man himself, Donovan Simon. So grab some tough crackers, a piece of ardo bread, little chocolate tea, little cocoa tea, and come back, sit down, because it's now time to all a little reason. What's up, Ms. Nicole? Yeah. Uh, why do you recommend hard old bread? I don't know. It just sounds like writing, you know, when you go all a reason. It sounds like. Yeah, but it's I seven o'clock in the evening. Right, Friday. <laughs> like Bunga Tona, them time they don't eat hard No, but bread. you know, Jamaicans, we don't cook on Friday, so it's sounds yeah, like. You don't eat hard old bread Friday evening. Yes, you eat hard old bread. Of course, yeah. you eat hard old bread. Oh, okay. No, like it's one kind of tin of sardine or some tin mackerel or some pickup sausage and tomato or something. <laughs> I hear you. Well, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Well, let's hope you have a little bit more than sardine and mackerel. So. <laughs> I'll give okay. thanks with, for whatever it is. Whatever, whatever it is, you yeah. know, we're going to deal with it. Uh, yeah. today, we have a, today we have a little reasoning about black images and black people in the media. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, this one is going to be, I think is going to be interesting because yes. there's some things that, you know, who knew? Yeah. Who knew that that's how things happen behind the scenes. So I'm going to have a chat with Dr. Clark. Yeah, man. And, and then and then we touch base like more. All right, cool. Have a good Welcome to another Time to Reason here on Wataguan. My name is Donovan, and it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, today, we're going to touch on another topic that uh, sometimes people don't want to touch. Uh, it's about racism and how Black people are represented or Black images are represented in the media. And uh, a few months ago, I had a chance to listen to a lecture given by the, the guest that we have today that focused on that here in Canada. And I thought it'd be useful to have him share some of his research and experience with us here on Wataguan. Uh, Dr. Brad Clark, he's, he's been a journalist for a long time, over 20 years. He's been in print, he's been in broadcasting, spent some time at, at the CBC here in Canada. He's also been in, in academia, he's a, he's a teacher. Uh, he's a professor at the Mount Royal University here in Calgary. And primarily why he's here is because one of the products of his research is a book entitled Journalism's Racial Reckoning, Re Reckoning the News Media's Pivot to Diversity and Inclusion. He's done many things over, over the, 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 the last couple of years to look at equity, inclusion, and diversity in news social media and esports and i think he's going to add some value to our conversation today it's my pleasure to introduce and ask dr brad clark to join me here on stage uh, pleasure pleasure to be here donovan hey 
Oh, how have you been? I, I won't ask you about the coaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was our first look at the team, and uh, uh, I don't know if it's just because they're older and bigger, but, man, they looked really good, so I'm kind All of excited. Right. <laughs> All right, early season. All right, listen, we're here to talk about Black Images, racism, and how the media presents it. And your work opened up, uh, in, for some people, uh, a light on the things that are happening within media. Maybe where we should start is a little bit of some expansion on your work, your observation. What, what were some of the things that came out of that research? Right. So, so my, rich, my, my research really started with George Floyd's murder and, 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 and sort of what came after that with the rise of Black Lives Matter, with institutions being held to account. Among those institutions was the journalism industry, the news business. And, and um, what, what started to come out um, at that time, um, I, think it was, I think it was true across many institutional lines, People were willing to speak out about their experiences, racialized people, indigenous people, and and people in the in the news business were were really outspoken uh, about the nature of the the, the hurdles they had faced uh, as as practitioners, um, and and uh, so what what they were often talking about were were their experiences both in the newsroom and in regard to to the content that they saw created on a daily basis in those newsrooms and and you know the uh like the the, the big theme through through their experience in both those areas was really the prevalence of systemic racism and and the way it was shaping their interactions with managers and supervisors the the people who who are sort of the gatekeepers within the newsroom for the stories that make it into the into the mainstream spotlight and and their experiences with with colleagues um, in in um, sort of sort of the the day to day operations of news, um, mm -hmm. whether whether it was things like like microaggressions being mistaken for another person of color, or or um, um, managers not being able to pronounce their names, mm -hmm. um, or or um, um, on a kind of a bigger level, the, the fact that they were expected to be the ones who who led often the volunteer work within the organization related to equity, diversity, and inclusion. So the, the burden of the burden of improving representation um, often often falls on um, racialized people and indigenous people who who work in the in the newsroom so so they started speaking out about that and and as as, as they started to speak out um, in a variety of forums I just started tracking it because I was interested in it from from the perspective of my own research and, and education and 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 sharing it with my students so I was just just following it from that mm -hmm. perspective but uh, after several weeks and then into the summer, I, I realized I had dozens and dozens of, of accounts from, from racialized and indigenous journalists, people working in the news business, uh, of what their experiences were. So I, I decided to, to do some analysis of that and, and break it down. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's kind of the, the, the work in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, I, I'll come back to some of the details 
around your 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 research brad but the the general topic you know we talk about black practi practitioners in media uh, you know people have been in, in media for a long time you know i i was thinking as we prepared for this about oprah oprah has been around yeah. and has become famous and all the rest of it but we never heard these stories coming from those sources yeah uh, uh, you know, um, the the only place you you kind of heard heard these stories was kind of in the world of academic research, where where um, researchers were were you know interrogating race in newsrooms, race in media, and and so there you know th that that was kind of the only place you would counter it. It didn't really make it into the the mainstream in a big way, and that was what was so significant about the racial reckoning in 2020 that that it it started to to mm -hmm. make it into to mainstream um news coverage um so, so and and i think the reason it it hadn't come out is 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 just coming back to um you know the 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 practices around journalism and who they have been controlled who shaped them and determined them um over the decades and and maybe over the the you know almost two centuries i guess that we've had journalism of of some sort mm -hmm. so so if you look at that um especially looking at canada or the united states you know we're we're, we're looking at at um white settler states exclusionary states um that that um the 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 link between institutions and power in society whether whether it's governments or universities or 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 hospitals um or the media it's it's all been it's all been white dominated and, mm -hmm. and so it's those perspectives that have shaped the ideals of of um everything in society but 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 journalism as well and so you know one 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 journalistic ideal that i think people are really familiar with is the notion of objectivity and mm -hmm. and but but objectivity is is a european it's a white it's a white notion yeah. and and it downplays uh, other perspectives right. and and so um you know objectivity through the years really came very much to be interpreted from from the perspective from a from a white lens from from right. the view of um you know sort of white europeans and and what they perceived to to be to be um um objectivity right. and and uh i i you know as a journalism instructor professor i have i have really grave concerns about notions of objectivity informing how we we practice there's 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 certainly room for lots of neutrality and approaching stories from a from a position of of not being biased but right. but uh but objectivity and this is this is what i found in my study objectivity has often been trotted out as a way to control particularly black journalists right. um to to say well you know um you know not everything's about race you're you're bringing up this story not everything's about race like can you move on to something else now mm -hmm. and you know that's not very objective on your part you've got a stake in this as a black person mm -hmm. um and you want to talk about this issue facing uh blacks in society um uh so that's that's kind of what had happened what's what's interesting is nobody ever had 
a problem with white journalists going and covering the issue facing largely white suburban Canada or the United States. No one mm -hmm. would say, oh, you can't, you live in suburbia, you're another white suburbanite, you can't go cover that story, you're, you're biased. And, right. and uh, so that's, that's, I think, part of the way, that part of the reason we don't see, or we didn't see um, more of the prominent black journalists, um, you know, sort of sort of more outspoken and because even they, I think they have been controlled to a certain extent in what they would say. Right. Uh, how has, if any at all, the 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 George Floyd riots, the Black Lives Matter, Me Too, how has that, if any at all, affected media and the whole issue of system, systemic racism? I, th I think it depends on which media organization you look at. Mm -hmm. So I think I think there are some some examples where where media news media organizations have their feet held to the fire and 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 really kind of uh, embraced um, equity, diversity, and inclusion in a in a sincere way, mm -hmm. and and. Um, you know, one 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 example of this um, is is the Los Angeles Times. So I'll mm -hmm. use the Los Angeles Times as an American example, and I'll, I'll I'll bring in a Canadian example as well. But the Los Angeles Times, you know, working in perhaps one of the most diverse cities in in North America, if if you think about all the different immigrant communities that live there. Um, didn't do a hasn't done a very good job over its history in in uh, representing its constituents, particularly the, the different ethnic groups that make up large parts of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and and so um, through the through the racial reckoning, a lot of a lot of um, L.A. Times reporters started to speak out about their experience. Uh, Black journalists, uh, black black uh, news editors, uh, and what they had seen over the years, and and with a lot of what happened through the racial reckoning, there was initially some pushback from management, but then management really started to recognize that that um, there was something there, something more than they had had really been willing to consider before, and mm -hmm. so the L.A. Times started to. To, to make some some really important decisions around hiring and structuring their newsroom and their newspaper to to start to better reflect segments of the society whether whether it was um, black communities or or uh, Asian communities um, or or uh, components of the Hispanic community they, they they were starting to be more and more recognition of this and and um, so so as while they were doing that they also started to to make 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 way for more content that related to those communities not not in a in a superficial way like like uh like <laughs> you know celebrating chinese new year um mm -hmm. but 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 um finding people and finding stories finding people to report on those stories in those communities and um and then and then they started to embark on I think what was a really important part of of the process, they they set out to set the record straight on a lot of the racial coverage that they had been doing uh, over the over the decades, mm -hmm. and and uh, so they 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 uh, 
um, tapped specific black journalists and Asian journalists and Latin Latinx journalists to write about the ways that the LA Times had covered those communities in the past and, and mm -hmm. how those how those were wrong. And on top of that, they they uh, they had a special section that featured a bunch of these stories and they had a, an editorial um, written by the editor of the, the newspaper uh, Sewell Chan, uh, he's not there anymore, but but he he wrote this really significant and sort of detailed all the ways that that the LA Times had been racist um, for years and years, and mm -hmm. cited those examples and and it, and it was a way of kind of taking some accountability for for what had been done in the past and a, and a promise to to do better in the future, and and. Um, you know, an, an organization that did something similar to that was the Winnipeg Free Press. Mm -hmm. um, they they also did an op-ed and and um, recognized the way that their their reporting had been racist uh, in 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 the past. And and um, so, uh, you know, what I took from that was a like a really sincere. Um, accounting for what had come before and mm -hmm. and I, I don't think i don't think you can move forward on improving your track record on improving your coverage if you don't acknowledge what came before right. there have been other other newspapers in the united states that have done this in in um in in the past not 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 tied to to George Floyd's murder, but but in years previous, mm -hmm. and I think it was the Kansas City Star, they they did that, and and um, they I, I remember a line from I think one of their editorials, um, and it and it, it was something something along the lines of um, um, it was recently brought to our attention that there was a civil rights movement in the United States. We regret that we that we forgot to cover it. Some something along those lines. And so so it's been done in the past but not very much. So those are those are you know where organizations have been sincere about it and have have moved forward with what I think you could you could look at some sound EDI principles. Um, I think I think there's there's been some some progress but if you if you pick up a newspaper just about any of the post media newspapers post media did did very little gave barely a nod to anything related to the racial reckoning and in spite of the fact that that um you know the world has moved on in in many respects you know on any given day or weekend you can you can find a editorial in particular tends to be opinion based in in the the post media newspapers you can find an opinion piece that's that's incredibly racist particularly toward indigenous people but really yeah. to towards newcomers and people of color as well uh what, what is the basis in in your opinion for some of the resistance that you have possibly seen as you've gone through your research to the acknowledgement and instituting changes in the way many of these media houses reflect black and indigenous uh, topics and peoples. I, I I think so much of it just just stems from a really narrow view of the world, 
and and um, people who are who are um, kind of stuck in the past and and stuck in their own perspectives and and really struggle with with um, you know what 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 should be um, one of the most powerful motivations for, for for good journalism and that's representing your audience representing not just a select set of voices but voices across the spectrum of, of the community you serve and and um, uh, I uh, there's I think there's there's fear I, I think there's a um, uh, an arrogance that that uh, perpetuates some of the stick-to-itiveness of um, you know refusing to 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 embrace just just really authentic and accurate representation yeah and i mean in some cases you could you could default to the fact that the who pays the piper calls the tune right yeah 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 and 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 that's true and and for for um for some media organizations it's shareholders in a way right. that is that is uh really contrary to the journalistic mission so so you, you know who's your master to an, to an extent if you know what I mean? right. like 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 is your is are, are you beholden to to the public because that's that that's the that's the that public service ideal is is really important or mm -hmm. has been in 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 uh, journalism's ethics um if you're beholden to to shareholders then then it's all about clickbait and and um you know driving traffic and 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 selling advertising and and um you know there there's some interesting arguments around the bottom line and and uh diversity yeah. and and like i've been i've been sort of looking at this area for since i since i sort of started working at a university well in, in the academy since around 2006 but even back then there were there were professional organizations trying to make the case for diversity by saying you know it's good business mm -hmm. um and and then and then citing what the spending capacity is on a like in the billions of dollars for mm -hmm. for for racialized people and indigenous people and different cultural groups and and it's it's a bit cynical but but uh but it, it, it's a legitimate argument and yeah. and um um i was actually talking about this with my students in class just this week um we were we were looking at a little little bit about uh, representation in advertising and you know, it wasn't until 1963 that that um, um, the first major company started to advertise, um, have advertising directed towards Black people in the United States. Mm -hmm. and that was Pepsi in 1963, and 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 but today there's much more recognition that that um, yeah. advertising that's that has diverse themes in it that that targets. People mm -hmm. of color and mm -hmm. and uh, LGBTQ2S plus and mm -hmm. and and people with disabilities, that advertising um, is reaching those those populations in a way that's um, profitable, 
but it's also engaging with a younger demographic that appreci that appreciates those values as well. Mm -hmm. So, so um, you know, news is a bit a bit uh, bigger ship, I guess, to try and turn. But but <laughs> advertising seems to have done a little bit better job of um, of embracing some of these values. Well, at the end of the day, it's a business. I'm going to come to to teaching and curriculum in a little bit, but I want to go back a little to the issue of North America, United States versus Canada. Yeah. Were there were there any major similarities or differences that you identified as part of that research in, in, in putting out racial reckoning that you want to speak to? Um there, there weren't there weren't many many differences to be honest. I mean, um, you know, when I think about some of the experiences identified by Black journalists in Canada, they're very very similar to the to the experiences of Black journalists in the United States. So, so for example, um, um, uh, I, I can recall a story of of one Black journalist covering covering. Um, uh, covering a police shooting in Baltimore and and um, going down and doing some reporting and and um, she interviewed two young black men who who um, shared lots with her with with the experiences they had had with police and she she dutifully you know took down all their their contact information and when she came back to Canada and to put her story together um, her editor was giving her grief that that you know did she really know who these sources were and and uh, you know how how could she trust that these stories were authentic and it's like well why why would why would you doubt that and you know and and so um, you know it, very similar experience to to what what uh, uh, a lot of black journalists in in uh, big cities in in uh, the U.S. face. Um, there's, I mean, where, 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 what I saw different in Canada was, um, uh, I, I would say that, that there's a lot more racism directed towards indigenous, indigenous people here. They're a bigger segment of the population mm -hmm. and, and, um, indigenous journalists, um, trying to report on, um, for example, the report on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Mm -hmm. The report actually used the word genocide, and yet, and yet, white news editors would give the Indigenous reporters grief for trying to use the word genocide in their copy. Mm -hmm. They were quoting the report, and so, so it's it's things like that um, that that. Uh, um, that that uh, that I saw a lot of through through the racial reckoning, but right. but but you know in, in sometimes in class and sometimes sometimes in discussions with with colleagues, um, I think a lot of people like to think that Canada's uh, sure. be better than the U.S. <laughs> when it comes to racism, right. and and um, you know I, I would say from from using the lens of my research. Uh, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I think we we have we have many issues that are similar. Um, we have s s kind of different, slightly different populations, but but I think the you know what what drives the issues we see are, are kind of the same thing. Yeah, let, let let let's shift a little to to academia, and you you you're a professor. You're teaching students all the time. 
How has some of this research and the things you've been looking on for a long time, how, has, how does that influence your curriculum and the way you approach uh, teaching diversity in media uh, today? Um, I, I, I like, I think it's the foundation for all my teaching. Like I, my, what, what I've seen in my research, um, it, it's the, it's the foundation for all the courses I teach and how I teach. Um, you know, I, it's not how I started out, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, like I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware of what scholars I'm highlighting and centering in my work and i and i try to be inclusive in in um the academic voices i include in my mm -hmm. teaching and and uh at the same time when i'm using media examples i i reach out for for um you know not just the the cool story that that might excite students but like like the cool story that a black journalist put together or mm -hmm. an indigenous journalist put together so that so that um um you know so that we're modeling and normalizing um uh um pe people telling stories who aren't white right and and um uh so so i so it kind of serves a a couple of purposes there um it, it like it there's that aspect of it there's also the aspect that that um, uh, often the stories are more authentic. They're they, they're deeper. They have um, better understanding of the of the issues, mm -hmm. and and make connections to the community that that uh, might not be there if if the reporter uh, wasn't a person of color, for example. So, so th those are those are some of the things I try and try and bring to the class, and and then and then I you know I try to. Um, uh, um, the expression we've used, Amal Royal, is decolonize the curriculum. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, so that's part of part of that process. But part of it is is uh, thinking about the nature of your assignments. Um, so, <clears throat> I teach a course called Media and Inclusion, and and um, you know, and we we so we're actually studying this stuff in that in that course, but. But uh, what I also do in that course is produce a podcast right. um, based on diversity themes, mm -hmm. so that so that students um, are put in the position of of having to represent uh, represent represent groups that they may not necessarily be associated with, so that they start to understand um, the the way you know, some of the issues around production when you're, when you're um, talking to a community that, that you may not belong to. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so, you know, if, if they're, if they're doing a story about uh, a first nation issue and are reaching out to an elder um, that they, they understand the nuances of, of reaching out to an elder and ensuring that you're following proper protocols and and mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. so, so th 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 those are kind of the ways that I I try and bring it to my teaching. How how has social media, if any, influenced how that curriculum and those practices are translated? Because social media seems to have opened up the window to all and sundry 
for news, quasi news and entertainment. Yeah, for for better and worse, uh, it, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but but uh, but for for better, what what's happened is social media has given a has given uh, forums for for indigenous people and and racialized people and and um, you know uh, other equity deserving groups um, to put their stories out before a, a big audience, a mass audience. Mm -hmm. uh, without having to go through the, the traditional media gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so we've seen that with, you know, we've, we saw that with Me Too to a certain extent, but we also saw it with uh, um, Idle No More. Um, I actually did a research project for um, a book chapter I wrote um, on the um, um, Canada 150. So the, the, um, um, 150th anniversary of Canadian Confederation, and and um, what was what 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 happened in that story was um, Indigenous leaders across Canada, as as uh, we were getting closer to the date for um, that anniversary, started to 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 share all the ways that it was um, not something to be celebrated that that uh the the colonization the impact of colonization on their peoples and um and and uh um and even even on uh newcomers um started they they started to to use social media to get this message out and and in time um the the social media message started to get picked up by the mainstream and so you started to see stories in the Toronto Star or the Guardian uh, related to to the this this Canada 150 resistance movement. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you came around to July 1st, 2017, the the tone of of Canada 150 was quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. If you remember on Parliament Hill, uh, Justin Trudeau was was, you know, um, making some some celebratory remarks, but was also acknowledging an indigenous encampment on mm -hmm. Parliament Hill and the concerns and issues that had been raised through the course of the Resistance 150 movement. So, so social media has has had that capacity. Social media, you know, I think it still um, tilts towards the powerful in in um, really profound ways, but. It, it's, it does offer the opportunity for equity deserving groups to, to get their message out and, and um, potentially um, ultimately shape, shape the, the narrative uh, as yeah. we saw with Canada 150. Uh, Brad, as, as, as the changes occur, because uh, I think you have acknowledged that some media houses and the mainstream generally is acknowledging the need for, for these changes uh, is 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 there an acceptance on the other side, meaning the racialized, the indigenous groups, etc., uh, of this change as some form of atonement and a, a, a good way forward? What what have you seen, and what does your research say? My sense is that there's um, justifiable skepticism, and people are waiting to see more. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, and I think that's valid. Um, I, 
I, I was speaking to <clears throat> a young First Nations woman just the other day. She, she, um, she had been to Mount Royal and completed a diploma program and worked in the media for, for a time. Uh, really, really gifted, really. Mm -hmm. And she's come back to university now. Um, and she was telling me about some of her experiences working in the media and, and um, you know, trouble she had getting her news editors, her bosses to listen to her ideas around stories uh, about First Nations communities and issues. And it was, you know, it was just so, so much of a struggle and so frustrating for her. You know, her comment to me was, uh, you know, my, no wonder we all quit. And, and so that's been an ongoing issue for, for the, the racialized and indigenous journalists that, that have come through the, the newsrooms over the years. And because they they haven't been listened to, they don't stick around. And so, you know, they, 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 we've never seen a really significant um, up like rise through the ranks into the supervisor roles. And that's something that sort of gets called out repeatedly is, you know, why aren't there more people of color in the upper ranks of news organizations? Well, mm -hmm. it's because nobody wants to work there if you're racialized because, because right. it's such, it's been such a, such a, um, such a, a, a battle to, to get your, your views and, uh, opinions respected. I, I think, you know, I, <clears throat> having said that, I have, I have seen, I, I have seen some improvements in coverage. Mm -hmm. um, there's an indigenous uh, reporter based in Vancouver, who I saw a post on on uh, social media that, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, in in 2010. Um, they wouldn't do a story on this. On, in 2015, they didn't do this. And but in 2022, they're letting me do this story. And mm -hmm. so she said something like that's progress. And mm -hmm. and so so I you know I think I think there, there 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 is recognition of this. We've Canada has never been more diverse. Like right. um, and and it it's not it's not going to go the other way. <laughs> like, like, like the, the world is becoming more and more diverse. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so you can either, you can either um, get on board or, or, or get off because, because that's where, that's where we're headed. So um, I think, you know, I think there, I think that, that, that there are some people who, who are, who are, um, pleased with the progress that's been made but mm -hmm. uh, but i also think it's kind of a case-by-case -case thing some organizations have embraced it more than others and and um just seems like we always see the pendulum swing too uh <laughs> you know we saw we saw this pendulum swing one way in 2020 in and um and then it's has swung back in a in a pretty sharp way um you know, especially in, you know, the United States, I would say. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, uh, yeah, more to be done. Yeah. It's going to be interesting as we, as we look at the clock and wrap up here. So when we look at the future, uh, you know, you kind of started that just now, Yeah. there is, there, there's always been 
for the last you know 15 20 years the question of 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 media and digital transformation and the obsolescence of newspapers the rise of social media mm -hmm. and 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 the new world but we're 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 having this conversation while talking about diversity equity and inclusion you know when when you translate your research for the next 20 30 years what what do you see like i i think i i think that um audiences if not journalists and if not news leaders are going to hold news media to account more and more and if they if they're not seeing better representation they'll they'll stick to tiktok they'll they'll <laughs> they'll stick to their instagram feed and and um you know the you you reference digital transformation obviously it's it's had such a such a i don't know spectacular um influence on on news media and where 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 we are you know it seems like every every other day we're we're hearing about uh newsroom closure or um you know another news media organization shutting down so so um there's there's financial pressure to to um um find sustainable ways sustainable from an economic point of view of producing news um and i think i think there's a perception that somehow you know diversity is expensive but that, that that's not the case it's like i i'm hoping that where we where we're if we're not there where we're going is is that diversity and inclusion is 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 part of the the journalism ethics that that uh shape where we're going and what our content ought to look like and and so to get there uh we we need to have diverse voices in the newsroom we need we need those voices to tell the stories of other diverse voices mm -hmm. and 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 um so i i i think i think that that uh and i maybe this is wishful thinking or just maybe i'm just way too much of an optimist but i think the younger generation embrace this in ways that my generation didn't mm -hmm. and and so i think i think there's there's an opportunity for as the next um, generation of young reporters start to hit the newsrooms that that they recognize how important this is mm -hmm. and and you know for, for for white journalists that's that's um you know making space for for other journalists of color and indigenous journalists but it's also recognizing that you can't go to the same sources all the time mm -hmm. recognizing that that you need more than than uh you know the dominant perspective in your reporting and and um you know that 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 was one of the things that was pointed out with issues and content is you know how how stories about communities could be told without a single voice from that community making it into the content right and and there were some 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 really um 
terrible examples of that. So I think I think there's I think the the journalism is is getting stronger, and I also think that there's recognition that this is now part of our uh, ethical foundation, and and um, that we can't move ahead. We're not going to be serving the public. We're not going to be meeting our ideals as as journalists. We're not going to be serving anybody if if we can't incorporate this. Well, on that note, we're gonna we're gonna put a wrap on it. Uh, this was fantastic, Dr. Brad Clark, author of Journalism's Racial Reckoning: The News Media's Pivot to Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, Brad, thanks for joining us here on Watabon. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care. Okay. Welcome back. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yep. Uh, lots of lots of learning. Lots of lots learning. And lots. Uh, who who would have thought? You know, it's uh, a lot of people might not know for the people watching this. So my my I did a first degree in in, in communications. Uh, shout out to all the people who went to Caramac at University of the West Indies. You know, I would have never imagined that some of the things Brad was talking about happened in the media houses. That said, I hope everybody who listens to this watches this. Uh, media is what is is made somewhere. It's manufactured no different than a smoothie or a cup of coffee. Yep. You know, the guys inside the media house determines what the news is. Uh they determine what flavor the news is. Yes. They determine they how it smells, how it looks, and what shape it takes. And it 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 requires a certain amount of uh what should I say, governance, integrity, and all kinds of factors mm -hmm. for it to come out in a particular way. Yeah. And uh it's it's interesting how sometimes you, you take it for granted about how the images look. Or what they sound like, and you wonder yeah. why. And I think the research is is speaking to yeah, uh, definitely a current that has been going on for a long time. Yeah, that puts you know black indigenous racialized, uh, and I like the word that he used: equity deserving. Equity deserving groups. Equity deserving groups yeah. in a particular light. Yeah. So so yeah, uh, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and some people, some people get bigger, make money out of it, and and totally ignore some of those issues, right? And and that's then that's where the problem lies. We oftentimes we ask for, we'll say, oh, we need women in these spaces. Oh, we need racialized or equity deserving folks in these spaces, and oftentimes they get there, and somewhere along the line, <laughs> they forget their they're woman or they're racialized and they start just walking in the same grain of, of other people. It's like, you know, when you go to school and you get ragging, you yeah. can't wait to reach to a higher grade for start. So you can't rag, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right. And it's true. 
and you wonder why some of the stories haven't changed over time. And I'm not saying there there hasn't been change. Right. But I think you see more images, you see more people in these spaces, but you can't help but question why haven't we made more progress? More progress. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Yes. Another another reasoning is done. <laughs> yes, another good one. All right. Take it easy. See you next week. All right. Cool. Yeah, man. See you. Okay, folks. I hope you listened. I hope you were taking all what was said into consideration. And it was another good reason. Very, very good reason. I hope the tea lasts long enough for you to um, enjoy the conversation right throughout. And I hope you listened and you're taking some notes and you're putting it down. Um, again, back to my Patwa time. It says, Chicken Mary out the near. And you know when your granny or your mother say that, it means danger lurk. So while you're busy out to do a ramp and a gilafe pea soup, hey, something always go wrong. 90% of the time, you know, you always end up buck your toe, your cut, your foot, your drop off a sitting. Something happened. So is that whenever the you're you're very when it's a chicken Mary out in here, it means danger lurks while you're busy celebrating. So if you haven't heard this one in a long time, see I bring it back. For those of us who work in spaces where we, we don't work around many Jamaicans, folks who don't really get it, but hey, feel free to just drop it in the middle of the conversation and just leave it right there and let it marinate, right? So chicken Mary out the near. So that is our term for this week. So next week's show, we are going to again be focusing on our black folks. So this one will be looking at art in the black community. And this one will focus on a Montreal story. So next week we go local. Yeah, we're going out east and we look at a project that fuses being black with a community organization. We'll have the president of the Jamaican Association of Montreal and Sharon Nelson, director of their art project. They will be joining us to dive into what makes this program so important to not just artists, but the Jamaican and Black community in Montreal. This is going to be another very interesting discussion. So please plan to join us. All right. You can now share your message on Wataguan National while we share our stories and experiences. Advertise with us as we grow. Contact us via wataguan.ca or our social media handles. And those are Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and our website. And as usual, remember that Guan is two A's. You can connect with us through email at wataguancnd at gmail.com and also send us a message on any of our social media um, platforms. So again, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and you can connect with any of those through our website at www.wataguan.ca. Yes, Lilith, you're there back again. Wagwan, Auntie Lil. Glad to see you giving the shout out as usual. All right, so remember, we want Wataguan National to spread. We want it to go everywhere in our world. Just like, oh, we share good food, share our social media handles. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share the link when you subscribe to your friends. Like and comment on our Facebook and um, 
sorry, Instagram platforms, and that will allow it to appear on your screen. So all your other people who are following you or friends on your platform will then see it and you know, what a go on national will be truly national. We've come to the end of another wonderful show. And I hope you learned and you had good time. But plan to join us next week as we come back. Your girl from Bongotown is taking another Friday off. Happy Thanksgiving for those who are celebrating and live in Canada. But walk good. See you in the next week.